More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. You guys, I feel like I need to apologize in advance for today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Um, It's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to be polished, and it's probably not going to sound super hopeful. So if you're in a place where that's what you need, um, you should probably either not listen to this episode at all, or... Tune in sometime when you think that you can handle the kind of mood that I'm in right now. Um, I had a choice. I could either go ahead and do today's episode the way that I feel right now, or I could throw up a little mini-sode letting everybody know that I was going to take some time off for the holidays, and I'll see you in January. And I opted to go ahead and record today's episode because I promised myself when I started Survivor Sanctuary, that I was only going to do this if I was willing to go all in with the reality of sexual abuse and the reality of some of the things that we have to deal with as survivors. And if that meant being vulnerable when I didn't want to be, and maybe risking looking weak to other people, which is not my favorite thing, that I was going to do it anyway, because I think that this message is important and people need to hear it. Um, I think it's important for people to understand and to know and just to hear some of the things that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis, to understand why we fight so hard to keep people who are predators away from children, why we fight so hard to name perpetrators and to warn, because A lot of what we deal with in surviving sexual abuse is really, really ugly. And I mentioned a few minutes ago that this is not going to be pretty. Um, I'm not in a pretty mood. I'm pretty angry, if you want to put it that way. Um, I have gone through something and am going through something right now that's pretty much the worst thing that I've ever experienced. And I'm just feeling very broken and very raw and just emotional and angry. So that's kind of how today's episode is going to go. And I just, I want to apologize in advance. You know, I've read and it was some sort of podcasting expert who wrote it that you shouldn't make your podcast a personal diary of how you feel. And so once again, I'm going to have to apologize because honestly, I don't think that I can do anything different with today's episode. I just don't think that I can. And so instead, I'm going to come at you with the realness and the whiteness, as you can totally hear. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I feel safe to do that here. And I know that even if you can't relate to everything that I'm going to talk about, that there's probably 
something in here that will strike a chord with you and that you can probably say, yeah, yeah, me too, kind of. I know what that feels like. So I'm just going to start with the really crappy stuff. It just is. It just sucks. And I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this and my brain is having a really hard time because it keeps like looking hypervigilantly for this thing that it's searching for to grab onto. And that thing isn't here anymore. And my mind is just not really comprehending that. And every time it starts to, um, I just have a breakdown. I mean, in the middle of work, you know, I'm sitting at my desk bawling and my coworkers are like, maybe you should just take the day off. I'm like, well, I'm probably going to have to take the next six months off, honestly, because I don't see this changing anytime soon. Um, I found out a few days ago that one of the dearest friends that I've ever had in my entire life and a man that I loved so much and who loved me and who was just an amazing person, um, passed away. And I don't know how suddenly it was. Cause honestly, I don't really have a whole lot of details and that's never fun when you're trying to grieve. Um, but all I know is that he's not here anymore. And one of the things that I hate the most in the entire world, like if I could rate them, it would be sexual abuse, number one. And number two, it would be any type of stroke, whether it is ischemic, I think that's the word, or hemorrhagic. Also, I think that's the word. I'm not a neurologist, so you'll have to check in with them. But my life has pretty much been plagued with brain bleeds. And I really just effing hate them. And if I could eradicate anything, that's probably what I would eradicate. Um, I know that this one took somebody who was my best friend for a really long time and someone that I just love like crazy and somebody that I didn't get to say goodbye to and someone that I'm never going to get to talk to again. And like I said, my brain's having a little bit of trouble wrapping itself around that thought. And I don't really even want it to because it hurts too much when it does. His name was Craig. And as I said, he's one of the best friends that I ever had. And the way that we met and the way that we became friends is really kind of a magical, weird mystical story. Maybe I just think of it that way. Um, and it's for another time because I, I don't have time today to get into it, but suffice it to say, we started out, uh, just commenting on each other's blogs. We both had baseball blogs and we ended up attending a press event together for the Marlins, the Florida Marlins. That's the team we blogged about. And no, it mostly wasn't fun because they, it was in the years that the Marlins were not winning anything, but we had a great time and met up at this mixer. And honestly, I think that after that night, we did not go a day for years without talking or texting. We were in contact every single day for years. And we just were really, really good friends. And we loved each other. And he was amazing. And you might be wondering, what on earth, Kelly, does this have to do 
with sexual abuse. What on earth does this have to do with the aftermath of sexual abuse? And I want to tell you, and after all the nice, pleasant things I just told you about my wonderful friend, Craig, I'm going to tell you some stuff that is not so wonderful. And it's nothing that's not so wonderful about him. And it's all stuff that was not so wonderful with me because of things in me that became broken when somebody decided when I was six years old that they wanted to use me for their own sexual pleasure instead of loving and protecting me the way that they should have. So one of my best friends of all time is gone. I didn't get to say goodbye to him. I don't know what he went through in the last days and hours of his life. And I didn't get to be there for him like I kind of always thought that I would. And that might not sound like it has anything to do with sexual abuse, but it does. And as I mentioned, it's not because of him. It's because of me and because of the violation of my trust as a little girl and what that has meant for me my entire life in relationships. And this is the thing. Like if I could go back and take anything out of my life, the thing I'm about to tell you about is the thing I would take out of my life. It is the thing if I had a genie in a bottle who said I can take one thing that you don't like about yourself and change it, and this would be it. While he was one of the best friends that I've ever had, and while he was an amazing person, so patient with me, so kind, so loyal, and so caring, and despite the fact that I loved him so much, I had to fight like hell for every single minute that I loved this man. Every minute. I don't think that there was one minute that wasn't a battle. I had to deal with a terror that I honestly have trouble putting into words. I've had trouble describing it my entire adult life since it started happening when I was 18 years old. So I can't really put it into words that'll make any sense, but a terror and a fight just to be able to have a relationship, even a friendship with a person I loved and who loved me. It was like every single day I had to fight this monster inside my head that was telling me that to love someone is not safe. And in fact, going a step further, when my mind started to really turn on me and the panic would set in and the anxiety attacks would take place, that not only is love not safe, in fact, it might even be evil. And I can only describe it as a darkness that I have had to live with for the last almost 22 years. It's a war. And it's one that, quite honestly, I have not been willing to wage very many times in my life. But any time that a person has been worth that struggle, and I've loved despite everything in me that tells me that I shouldn't, I would go to war. And it was hard, and it was a struggle, and to say that it felt like I was being tortured is to put it mildly. And I know that if I don't explain this in like some very basic terms that it may not make sense if you haven't experienced it yourself. But whenever 
I would feel any kind of deep loving emotion for any one of the opposite sex, whether they were just a friend, a really close friend, a romantic interest, didn't matter. Anytime those feelings would spark or would take root, my body and my mind would rebel against that like it was trying to rid me of some sort of venom, like I'd just been bitten by a snake and it needed to call in the reinforcements to attack. So I think I have described a little bit of the physical and emotional element of what I'm telling you about now in some previous episodes, but I'll just, I'm going to give you a nutshell version because I honestly just don't have the strength or the desire to try and muster up the strength to get into it, but it goes something like this. Kelly meets a man. Kelly loves a man or likes a man or just thinks a man is cute or gets along really well with a man or notices a man likes her. And Kelly's body and brain immediately set off like every alarm bell. Like my amygdala is just like, whoa there, something bad is happening and we need to sound the alarm and make sure she knows that she's totally about to die. And honestly, that's how my panic and anxiety reaction to relationships has always felt. It has felt as though this thing that I want, a relationship, a friendship, flirting, doesn't matter, this thing that I want equals death. And so my body and my brain have to fight it. So I go into this fight or flight mode where my brain is just, it's sounding the alarm. Kelly, you're in grave danger. Something terrible and awful is going to happen. And when I say something terrible and awful, I hope you're not thinking like Hallmark movie, like, oh, teehee, the girl is afraid of love and she's afraid to love again. But by the end of the movie, you know, she and the lumberjack who is trying to take over Santa's Enchanted Forest or whatever, um, fall in love and live happily ever after. And she overcomes her fear. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about something that's dark, that feels sinister. I'm talking about something that to me felt like complete and utter terror torture to the point where I would shake uncontrollably. My teeth would chatter. I could feel the stress hormones in my body releasing into my system. Like I could feel, and I used to explain it like it feels like a fountain and it just, the fountain like overflows and then the liquid moves into my limbs. I would have to fight this awful, dark, terrible feeling and physical response all the time. And I did it for years. I've done it for years because sometimes the only other option you have is to run away and hide from everything that gives you anxiety. And when you do that, your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. So you can either not have a relationship at all, or you can deal with the horror that you feel when you have one. And to me, Craig was worth that horror and bless that man's heart. He was a champ putting up with me and my crazy because every 15 minutes or so in any relationship, you'll find me trying my darndest to get out of it. Like, I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure we should never speak to each other again, but we love each other like crazy. I know, but I still just have this feeling 
like that's the right thing to do is for you to go away and to not talk to me for the rest of my life. And I'm laughing now because honestly, when I describe it, it sounds so stupid and ridiculous. And I'm thinking back to what like I was putting this poor guy through over and over again. Um, but he took it like a champ and he was super patient with me and never pushed. And you know what? He was just there for me. Crazy and all. And we managed to be very good friends for a very long time. But it came at a cost. It came at the cost of my peace of mind. It came at the cost of anxiety and panic attacks. It, it came with a price tag and, and love always does for me and it always has. And I want to tell you why. And I think you already might have guessed, but it comes with a price tag that is super, super, super overpriced to the point of ridiculousness. But it's a price I've had to pay anytime that I've wanted to have a meaningful relationship with anyone who was not a female. And the reason is because when I was six years old, a man thought that it was his right to use my body for his sexual gratification. And his choice, his decision, did not come with a price tag for him. It didn't. He's married. He has kids. He seems to be doing just fine in his relationships. It didn't come with a price tag for my abuser. It came with a price that I have to pay for the rest of my life. A price that I've been paying for years. A price that my mind and my body really can't afford most of the time. And I'm tired. And I know that I'm grieving right now. And I know that anger is a part of the grieving process. And I get that. But I'm so angry. Like I'm so angry that every single memory that I have with a person who was my best friend is covered with this like film of darkness because there wasn't a time in our relationship, a time in our friendship where I didn't have to fight my fear of the person that I loved. And there was no logic. There was no, Kelly, you're not in danger right now. Everything's okay. There was none of that. And honestly, when I met Craig and the years that we were really close, I had not been in therapy. I didn't even realize at the point that I was dealing with struggles related to sexual abuse. I just knew there was something really messed up in the way that I interacted with people of the opposite sex. And while I normally would have just run away and abandoned everything and been like, you know what, you're great, but I'm going to need to just go be by myself so I don't have to deal with this anxiety. Um, but I didn't do that because he was awesome and we were just good friends. My goodness, we could talk on the phone for hours and hours and not get sick of each other, hang out and have fun together, hate those bleeping fillies together. Like we just were good friends. But every single memory, happy or sweet or romantic or platonic, whatever it was, every single memory is colored by the anxiety and the fear that has tortured me my entire life. And it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair that I wasn't able to fully enjoy every facet of our friendship, every facet of our relationship. It's not fair that I wasn't able to enjoy my best friend and be at peace. And it's something that I've honestly never been able to do, ever. 
And there's just this point at which it becomes so exhausting. A point where you're just like, this is not worth it. Getting close to people is not worth it because it's too hard. And the fight that I have to face every single time is so debilitating that I end up just wanting to die. And it might sound extreme, and I I told you this episode wasn't going to be pretty. It's not going to make me look good. And I don't really care because I'm just in that I don't give a crap about anything right now because I'm in the middle of the worst thing I've ever gone through. I have spent, since the age of 18, so much time in emotional agony and torment. I don't know how to describe it other than being tormented. That's the way that it's felt. Crying, shaking uncontrollably, teeth chattering, curled up in a ball, crying, begging God to take it away, begging and trying to deal logically with my brain and say, there is nothing to be afraid of right now. Nothing bad is happening to you. You're fine. And I know that in my mind when I'm not in the middle of a panic or anxiety attack. But when your body's stress response is activated, your logical brain is not there anymore. So no amount of reasoning is going to make you understand that you're not in danger because your body has decided that you are. And it's a fantastic response that your body has. If you're being chased by one of those raptor clever girl things in Jurassic Park, like that's a time when that stress response is just gonna kill it. Go stress response, do your thing. When it's not so helpful is when your body and your brain decide that this stress response is appropriate when you feel affection for a safe human being. And I've dealt with it my whole life. Since I was old enough to start dating, I guess I should say, Um, because when I was younger, I just didn't do it. And when I turned 18, that's when the dating began. And that is pretty much when the anxiety began as well. I want to interject here that I've learned some techniques as far as dealing with anxiety and dealing with panic. I've learned some techniques to help me deal with this panic and this fear and anxiety when it happens. But I'll tell you that no amount of therapy has made this go away. And I've done a lot of different kinds of therapy, Um, talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, hypnotherapy. I've tried the EFT tapping, which by the way is actually really good if you're trying to get out of a place of panic. That has actually worked for me. But what has never happened is my body has never started understanding that it doesn't need to be afraid anymore. And if someone gave you the choice, if you're having trouble wrapping your brain around this, if somebody gave you the choice, you can go in here to this torture chamber And we can torture you, but you'll have somebody to love the entire time you're being tortured. Or you can go over here where you will never have love, but you also won't need to be tortured. And you can just be by yourself. Like, what choice are you going to make in that instance? Like, the choice most of the time for me in my life has been nothing. I will take the nothing and I will take the non-torture Non-torture for 500, Alex. But with some people, it's just not possible because they're too freaking nice and too persistent and too awesome. And Craig was one of those people. And I loved him with all my heart. And I never thought he wasn't going to be there. 
I just didn't. And I know this is something that a lot of people experience losing someone suddenly and not having a chance to say goodbye. I know that I'm not alone in that. And I know that it's something that tends to be a part of life the older that you get. I I get it, but it doesn't make me feel any better about it. And it definitely doesn't make me feel any better about the fact that a garbage human decided to screw with my ability to love people. And if I sound angry about that, I am. And if there's one thing that I will willingly admit that I'm bitter about, I will admit that I'm bitter about this. Because when you've lived through the kind of torture that I have felt, and I honestly, I can't explain it. I I can't explain how it feels, but I can tell you it is horrible. And I would give almost anything to be able to get rid of it, to be able to have a neurotypical response to love and relationships. And that was taken away from me by a person who wanted to feed his own depravity and didn't care what it was going to do to anybody. And so when I see this person standing in front of crowds of children holding puppets, my blood boils. And it doesn't boil because I want him to be punished for what he did to me when I was six years old. It boils because I see all those other six-year-old little girls who might someday have to deal with this garbage that I'm dealing with now. And the fact that people think it's okay to let him stand in front of kids, be surrounded by kids in an environment where they feel like they're supposed to trust him just like I did when I was six years old, makes me crazy. Nothing makes me crazier. When people have the audacity to tell you that sexual abuse is not really that big a deal or that survivors just need to forgive and move on and forgive their perpetrator and don't hold any bitterness in your heart and God can forgive anything and a sin is a sin or when churches cover up for predators, protect them and leave them with access to children, I am infuriated. And honestly, I think that it's righteously infuriated because I know what can happen physiologically to a person who is abused. There is so much research out there about what happens to people who are abused as children, that there is no, literally no excuse for anybody to leave vulnerable children anywhere near someone who can't be trusted or who has proven in the past that they're untrustworthy around children. Children who go through childhood trauma And sexual abuse, any form of abuse, is definitely childhood trauma, are at so much greater risk for so many horrible things, including suicide, including addictions, including cancer. Like, think about that. The way your body's stress response is activated over and over and over again because of the trauma you've experienced and the way that your body and brain decide to respond to try and protect you screws things up. It screws things up down to your DNA. Your body wasn't made to be in that constant stress response mode. It just wasn't. And it wreaks havoc on the body that causes problems later on in life. Causes problems in the present and it definitely causes problems in the future. So you see people who have been abused getting cancer at a higher rate than people who haven't. You see people who have been abused suffering from heart attacks and strokes at a greater rate than people who haven't. You see morbid obesity. You see drug addiction. You see all kinds of mental health disorders and physical ailments thanks to abuse. 
So when I say I'm infuriated, I believe a thousand percent that it's a righteous infuriation because I know what happens to people who are abused. I know the absolute hell on earth that so many people have to go through because their bodies were used by selfish, wicked people who could care less about the consequences. Look at your Facebook feed. Go on to Twitter if you follow people who are in the sex abuse advocacy world and see the destruction playing out in their posts. People who are struggling to function in life, people who are struggling to get through the day, people who feel worthless, who can't go 24 hours without some sort of substance to numb their pain and people who are carrying these heavy, heavy burdens because someone abused them. Can people find healing? Yes, absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. There is healing by leaps and bounds. Is sexual abuse a life sentence? Also, yes. That is the conclusion that I've had to come to in my life. That yes, there's healing. But I don't think that the struggle ever completely stops. I don't think that it does. Talk to me in 20 years. Maybe I'll have something different to say. Or maybe I will have died by one of the diseases that you're more likely to get if you're sexually abused as a child and then you won't be able to ask me. If I sound angry, it's because I'm angry. I'm angry that I've lost someone that I love so much. I'm angry that I never get to hear his voice again. I'm angry that I never get to look into his eyes again. I am furious that this person who was the peace and calm to pretty much to my chaos is gone. And I didn't get to enjoy a single day of loving this man that didn't also include anxiety and panic and torment. And I can't explain to you how broken that makes me feel. To spend all of my time trying to get away from people that I love, to spend all of my time trying to keep people at a distance that I desperately want near. Because while I might love them, my body and my mind are telling me simultaneously that they are a threat. Have you seen The Hunger Games? And honestly, I didn't really have a great example of the way that I feel until I saw the Hunger Games and I saw how Katniss and PETA were. PETA adored Katniss, loved her, would have done anything for her. They were two peas in a pod. They were in love. And then the Volturi, all right, that is definitely from Twilight and not from the Hunger Games. Whoever they are in the Hunger Games, get a hold of PETA and like reprogram his freaking brain to think that Katniss is a threat to him and to think that he needs to kill her. And when I saw that scene where Peta is trying to strangle to death the person that he loves more than anything in the world, I thought, oh my gosh, whoever wrote this book gets it. They get my struggle because this is what it is. And when Katniss starts working with Peta to help him understand reality and they play that game, real or not real, She has to tell him what's actually reality and what's not. And he has to ask, real or not real? You want to kill me. Not real. Real or not real? You're evil. Not real. Real or not real? You love me. Real. It's not a fun game. And it's not a fun way to feel. I don't know if you've done much reading on attachment styles. And I don't really have time to get into them in today's episode because we've gone on for a while now, but there are attachment styles that children develop um, when they're infants. 
and throughout their childhood years. It has to do with the way that children connect with their parents and the way that they connect with other people. And basically, there is the secure attachment style where if your parents meet your physical and emotional needs and they're responsive to you and they're there for you and you're not abused and you don't have all this trauma, you're generally a securely attached person and you feel safe to rely on that home base that you have, but also go out into the world with confidence and an ability to love other people and trust that other people can meet your emotional needs and that you can meet theirs. It's a secure attachment style. I only know about it because I've read about it. I don't know about it from personal experience. But you have insecure attachment styles when people are not treated well as children. Maybe they are neglected emotionally, they're neglected physically, they're physically or sexually abused, and those children tend to have a more insecure attachment style. So there's an anxious attachment and there's an avoidant attachment. And I don't have time to get into what both of those things are, but I will say that if you struggle in relationship at all, even if you're married and you know you have managed to not be as much of a weirdo in relationships as I've been for my entire life, um, attachment styles are a really great thing to learn about. And there's a great book and I'm gonna link to it in the show notes, but... There's a third insecure attachment style in addition to anxious and avoidant, and that is the disorganized attachment style, which tends to be the most extreme of the insecure attachment styles. And honestly, most experts think it's because of abuse and trauma in childhood. Any attachment figure that is inconsistent in their emotional support or is abusive, whether physically, verbally, sexually... The consequence is that this child understands that this person who they must rely on for support and love and safety is also a person that they should simultaneously view as a threat because that person can become threatening. And that kind of takes hold in the mind of this child and they grow up with a disorganized attachment style having really no clear way of getting their needs met from anyone. And I'm going to read you something from an article from Psychology Today about the disorganized attachment style because it kind of puts into words everything I've been trying to say in this episode. People who get attached in a disorganized way oscillate from two biological drives whenever the opportunity to attach comes about in life, the need to belong, to love and connect with others, and the need to survive, to protect oneself. Later, particularly in romantic relationships, people with this style of attachment often feel fear and anxiety when forming intimate relationships and suffer from a negative self-image and extremely damaging self-talk. They often feel intense loneliness because of an earnest want for genuine connection, but the stress and fear response linked to that want causes them to act erratically, driving away potential connection. That's it in a nutshell the disorganized attachment style from which I suffer clearly. Because those two parts of me have been at war since I was six years old. The part of me that knows that I want closeness and intimacy with someone I love. And the part of me that believes, no matter how irrational it is, that that thing that I want is also something to be feared and is also something that's going to kill me. I want to read you another paragraph from this article because it's spot on. It says, the pain of those with a disorganized style of attachment is this. They want to love. They want as any human to be understood, to feel safe, 
to feel connected to another person. But the process is extremely jarring and developing feelings for another person can be marred with more negative emotion than positive, including anxiety, confusion, self-hatred, and doubt. And that's it. The process is extremely jarring. On the one hand, love is amazing and beautiful. On the other hand, it is going to hurt like hell to fight every single day to have it. And it's a fight that honestly, I have not had the strength for most of the time. And it's because someone decided that their sexual desire and their sexual depravity was more important than a tiny little girl created in the image of God who was delighted by other human beings, delighted by relationship, delighted by love. And she now gets to be tormented because he saw her as prey and not as a human being created in the image of God and worthy of love and respect. Makes me angry. I'm just, I, I said it, I'm, I'm in the anger phase of grief. I'm so angry. I miss my friend. I want to punch him in the face because I yelled at him about his blood pressure for years and he got mad at me. Like this guy, super patient, super loving, very patient with me, would draw the line anytime I started to talk about the fact that he needed to get his blood pressure taken care of. Oh my goodness, nothing upset him more than that. So part of me wants to just have five more minutes with him so I can punch him in the teeth for never listening to me about that. Did I mention I'm in the anger phase? Because that's where I am. And on the reel, I joke around because that's what I do. And that's where I'm comfortable. But I don't want to take anything away from my friend Craig, who is one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met and who loved me better than I think anyone ever has in my entire life. He was an amazing person and I love him. And I don't know if my heart is ever going to be fixed. And that's just where I'm at today. So thank you so much for bearing with me in my anger and kind of raging. And it's been happening. There's been a lot of yelling and breaking things and crying and saying some really not nice words at God. Um, There's been a lot of that. But I know he understands. And I know he loves me anyway. And that he's okay with me throwing fits and throwing tantrums and grieving. Because he gets that too. So to Craig, if they let you listen to podcasts in heaven, I don't know. But if they do, I love you so much. And I'm so sorry I didn't tell you more. And I'm so sorry I didn't get to say goodbye to you. And to everyone who has put up with me in my very not put together, not happy and nice podcast today, Thank you as well. I appreciate you so much for just being willing to let me be me and to just be honest about the ugly because it's ugly. You know, when, when people see us raging 
about the fact that men who have sexually abused children or women who have sexually abused children are still around children. Like when people see us raging and they want to say, listen, like (laughs) you need to calm down because God forgives and he's love and you have to love everybody. Like, you know, we have these kinds of things to say, listen, we know the living hell that sexual abuse creates and we're going to do anything in our power to stop it. And that's honestly why I fight. That's why I do it. Because I want it to stop happening to people. I love you guys. And I appreciate everybody who has offered hugs and prayers and love at this time. It's really hard. And probably going to get off the mic and go cry some more. Because that's just what I do now is yell and cry Pretend I'm fine for 10 minutes while nobody's looking. Go cry again. <laughs> I don't, that's that's where I'm at right now. So I appreciate your prayers and your support and your love. It means so much to me. You guys are awesome. And hopefully next week I will not be crying in an episode of Survivor Sanctuary. And I will be able to be a little bit more perky and upbeat and positive about life. Um, that's my hope and my prayer for next week. But, oh. For now, my heart is broken and it's just in about 25 billion pieces and I miss my friend. I love you guys and I will catch you back here next week on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.